Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Um, I'd like to pray before we begin. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that it is your pleasure to use a broken and earthly vessels. Um, but I want to thank you that there is a purity in your word. And so this morning, I pray that as we come to a passage that is familiar, to a story that is familiar, um, that by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, um, you would speak new things into our souls. Father, whether it's by way of reminder, whether it's by way of revelation, uh, or whether it's just by way of um, resetting a foundation in us, I want to pray for the work of your Spirit uh, to lead us into all truth. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Uh, This is part two of our Advent series. Uh, As many of you will know, we have been uh, working our way through the um, story of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. Um, and for the uh, Advent season, we've gone back into Luke 1. And last week, we spoke about a couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And the angel came to Zechariah and said to him that his wife would be pregnant. And uh, he was unable to speak because he questioned how this could be the case. And once John the Baptist was born, Zechariah was able to speak and so ended 400 years of silence between the last prophet that God had ordained to speak to Israel to now what we call a New Testament prophet in John the Baptist. Now the same angel, six months later, comes to a young virgin called Mary, and that's where we pick up the story. In Luke 1 verse 26 And I'm going to be reading out of the Common English Bible. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, she was the mother of John the Baptist, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. Now what Luke is doing here for many people is, as I said last week, he is drawing all these strands together to help us understand that the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. And so it's important that Joseph is a uh, descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. Again, there's that connection that he's drawing back all the way to King David. And he will rule over Jacob's house. Again, deeper back into the history of Israel. And there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen, since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? And when God conceives something in us, There's three things that we really need in order to see that come to fulfillment. We need, need, there's a sense of certainty and clarity and courage. And so in this context, what what Mary's asking for is for the sense of like, how will this be? Now, we have a lot of, for the size of our community, we we have a lot of women in various stages of pregnancy. 
Um, there's four different stages of pregnancy, and there are four opportunities for life to be robbed in these stages of pregnancy. There's conception, there's gestation, and then there's labor, and there's delivery. And in all four of these seasons, there's the opportunity for the enemy to steal that. In Revelation, we see that the dragon is waiting as a woman is wanting to give birth. We see uh, that both with the birth of Moses and with the birth of Jesus, there's a sense in, in which the enemy is wanting to destroy this. Now, what does this have to do with most of us? Well, I think the reality is, is that every single one of us has the opportunity to be conceived by God. There's something that God is conceiving in us. And now, a friend of mine said, if, if women have to deal with the fact that they are the army of God, then men can deal with the fact that they are the bride of Christ. And in this sense, we understand Paul's words in Galatians to us. It says, my little children, I'm going through labor pains until Christ is formed in you. In a sense, just like Mary, every single one of us is at some stage of pregnancy, whether it's conception, whether it's gestation, labor, or delivery. In fact, Rachel Held Evans says this, One need not be a saint or even a mother to become a bearer of God. One needs only to obey. The divine resides in all of us, but it is our choice to magnify it or to diminish it, to ignore it, or to surrender to its lead. And so we'll see this morning as, as Mary is responding and choosing to magnify something amazing and something that is really hard for us and definitely her to wrap her mind around, that she is choosing to magnify it, not diminish it, not ignore it, but to allow herself to be led by it. What's interesting to me is as I look at this, um, I think of poor Zechariah who said to the same angel, because we know this because Luke said this, the same angel, how shall I know this? The angel is saying to him, your wife is going to have a child. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Mary says to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The, the, those sentences are almost identical, right? You would say that, that actually all they're asking for is a sense of clarity. All they're asking for is like, you know, you dropped a big bomb on me here. Can I just have some explanation in terms of what's going on? The, the thing that I find even more interesting is when the angel goes to actually explain to Mary how this would happen, this would definitely raise my level of anxiety, okay? Because in verse 35, so she says in verse 34, how will I know or how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel continues, he says, the Holy Spirit will come over you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born to you will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying that. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, I'm so grateful that I have all the information that I need. Uh, he doesn't make it any less awkward. He doesn't make it any less dangerous. Just remember that adulteresses were stoned within the context of the law back then. So there isn't a sense in which she's feeling a whole lot better because the angel explained this. I don't know why Zechariah's response was viewed as a faithless response and Mary's response was viewed as a faithful response. I think sometimes, though, we can say words and the posture of our heart is what God sees through. So some of us can say how will this be with a sense of feeble faith, of actually saying, just like the disciples said to Jesus, 
we believe help us in our unbelief? Some of us can say that with a sense of feeble faith, and I believe that's what was happening with Mary. How will this be? I'm like, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying you're not able to do it. I just really would like to understand how this is going to happen. And maybe Zechariah was more out of a sense of, of cynicism of like, I don't think this is going to happen. I think it helps that he was much older, because the older you get, the higher the level of cynicism in your life. But, um, but I, I don't know. I think... Uh, Also, as I read this, one of the things that I realize about Mary's response is that she's more focused on clarifying who God is in this situation rather than clarifying her specific circumstances. Because clarifying who God is is a better sustenance for her in the weird and awkward and dangerous circumstance that she's been put in. And God is so kind, though, that He feeds her faith and He gives her courage. Because in verse 36, he says, look, the angel says to her, look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And the angel left her. The angel is saying to her, look, I... Uh, paraphrase, I understand this is difficult to believe, but there is proof of what I'm saying. And your Elizabeth, your aunt Elizabeth is going to have a son. And they told her that she would not be able to have a son. Sometimes our feeble faith, all we need is to be face to face with someone else that has had a dream of God conceived in them. Where God can actually say, say to us, hey, look at Enid. I've birthed something in her. Go and visit with her and see if that doesn't feed your faith. Something that feeds my faith in different ways is when friends of mine, pastors call me, and they're so excited, and they say this, Mick, you won't believe it. Someone just gave us a building. And I'm like, yes. And I really am so excited for them. And I really am full of faith. And what that does, even though sometimes, and I've told you this, sometimes in my darkest moments, I'm like, but God, you know, what about us? What that does is as I listen to these stories, I'm full of faith. I don't have less faith that God is going to do it. I don't feel like what's wrong with us that God isn't doing it. I feel like, God, you're doing it for them. I know you're able to do it for us. And so in our lives, there's a sense in which we we look at maybe some sense of lack or maybe some sense of barrenness in our life. And one of the things that God is doing is giving us courage because we know that by His grace, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we know that we are containers of life. There is the divine in each one of us. But the, the joy of community is being able to go to an individual and say, tell me your story of how God conceived this in you and how it came to be fully delivered. Elizabeth gives her a tremendous amount of courage. Think of Mary. Most commentators say she's probably around 14 years old. And just remember, it was a very, very different time in those times. You know, if you lived to 50 and 60, you were like in your old age. Um, and, uh, and so imagine how, she's, imagine how she's feeling. Am I crazy? Is anyone going to believe me? Is this really God? What about that wheat that that guy gave me? Maybe this is what's happening. Will everything be okay? These are the same questions, maybe except for the wheat part. Maybe these are the same questions that we're asking 
when we believe that God is birthing something in us, am I crazy? Is anyone going to believe that this is of God? Is this, is this really God? So what Mary does is she wants to go see for herself. In verse 39, Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's, Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leapt. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and with a loud voice she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. This is before Mary even says anything to Elizabeth. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In that moment, God downloaded into Elizabeth not only the fact that Mary was with child, but the fact of who this child would be, that he would be the Messiah, the Savior. As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill the promises he made to her. Elizabeth's physical condition, imagine you're Mary, and the angel has said to you, nothing is impossible for God. Your old aunt is going to have a baby. You walk in, you see her pregnant. She's six months pregnant. And in that moment, not only is there a physical confirmation of what's happening, there's an emotional response from Elizabeth saying, you are carrying the Messiah. Now, all of a sudden, something is set in her. She understands that this is real, and her life has just begun to get difficult. And so that's part of the good news, bad news scenario in here is that it's not always easier when God births something in us. It often gets way, way messier and a lot more difficult. Many of you know that Karin is a, a doula, and we were walking, um, uh, hiking yesterday, and I said, well, what is your purpose? Like, what do you do? Um, like, in a sentence. <laughs> what, did that sound really dismissive? Is that like, that was not the purpose of what I was saying. You know what I mean? Like, are you there? Like, they're there. Everything will be fine. You know, like, what, what, like, what do you do? You know, I know what a midwife does. I know what a nurse does. And, and we were talking about, and basically she's saying, a, a lot of moms, especially first-time moms, want exactly what Mary wanted. Is this normal? Is this going to be okay? Am I able to do it? Um, and, and, and for doulas, that's a lot of the question that they're answering. While they do a whole lot of other stuff, that I don't want to get into, but they, they do that stuff. But basically, that's a question a lot of us, and even within the context of the community, are asking. And, and, and I'm going to say, most of us in this community have opportunities to be both Elizabeths and Marys. Most of us have opportunities to actually sit with someone and say, this is normal, this is okay, God is doing something in you. It will be okay. It's easier to give courage to other people when God is actively doing something in you. It's easy to give courage to people when God is actively doing something in you. So for Elizabeth, imagine this, she's an older woman. She sees Mary and she's saying, I know exactly what's going on. I know because God is doing something in me that I don't fully understand. She will come to fully understand it once Zechariah um, kind of prophesies over John. But when God is actively birthing and rather conceiving something in us, it's much easier to give another person's faith, another person faith. In this context, as Mary and Elizabeth were talking to each other, both of their levels of faith are elevated. I mean, Elizabeth is realizing that she has been visited 
by the physical carrier of the Messiah of the Jewish nation. In that moment, she realizes that the promise that God has spoken over Israel is being fulfilled and it's right before her eyes. Don't underestimate the work of God in your life. Don't underestimate how encouraging it can be for someone else. It can be just a story of of generosity and God showing up. It could be a story of healing. It could be a story of reconciliation with a family member or a worker. It could be a story where you decided that that you were going to believe God for something and God came through. Those are the kinds of stories that encourage the Marys in our midst. And those Marys become Elizabeths. So now what does Mary do? She responds in song. A lot of you will know that I'm not a fan of musicals. I don't understand musicals. I don't understand the fact that you could be talking and then all of a sudden we are singing now because that makes perfect sense. And sometimes the story is continued through the song and sometimes it seems like it just was there and then people move on. My beloved wife points out that Luke 1 is a musical. And literally, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Mary, and the angels, and all the time there's narrative and there's song, and there's narrative and there's song. So she's like, if you really want to be biblical, you better get used to musicals, you know? I don't know about that. So, But joy, have you ever seen a courageous person that is depressed? Because joy and courage come together. There's a sense in which when, when God stirs courage in you, it's almost impossible not to be joyful about that. When God stirs joy in you, it's almost impossible not to be courageous. And so Mary is sitting here with everything that has happened to her and with the sudden understanding and being fed with courage by God in terms of the promise, being fed by Elizabeth, she responds in song. And Mary says that with all my... I'm reading out of the Common English Bible, so... It says, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. And most of us will, will remember this in terms of the NIV or the New King James, that it says, my soul magnifies the Lord. In the depth of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Now, he has what? Number one, looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because of the mighty one. Number two, he's done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone. Number three, from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Five, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy just as he promised our ancestors to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. And I don't want to geek too much about this, but I want, you, I want you to see. Remember, we started with David, then we went further back into Jacob, and now we're all the way at Abraham, which means that God is reminding all of us through the writings of Luke that all nations will be blessed through this. And Mary is the one that reminds us that all nations, because the promise is not just to Jacob in terms of Israel, it's to Abraham for all nations. So what does magnifying God do? It does three simple things. It helps us to see God clearer. It gives perspectives to our trials and sufferings. And it prevents us from magnifying ourselves. 
This portion of scripture is known as the Magnificat. It's a, a sense of actually saying, a un, it's not a unique phrase. It's a phrase that the first audience would have been familiar with. It's a phrase that is basically saying, you are making God larger. Now, how do you do that? Because you can't actually make God larger. So think of a telescope or binoculars. When you look through binoculars at a specific there's someone who happened to be riding their bike, and I take my binoculars, they don't suddenly get bigger, right? What happens is, is they get bigger in my vision. I am able to see them more clearly. And so that's what magnifying, that's what magnifying God is, to, to magnify God's name and character above her situation. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, not my eye, because my soul is about what I believe and my eye is about what I see. God isn't actually getting any bigger. He's just filling our view. But when God gets bigger in our soul's view, other people, ourselves and our circumstances, begin to shrink. We get different perspective and detail on who God is and a new appreciation of who He is. Now, what she's doing is, is she said these seven things, right? He looks on me with favor. He shows mercy to me. He exercises strength. He has scattered the proud. He fills the hungry, and he comes to the aid of his people. And what she's doing is she's recounting 500 years of history of this God. So consistently what she's saying is this is the kind of God that I serve. This is the kind of God that has conceived something in me. This is the kind of God that we serve. And recounting what God has done is a way of magnifying Him for our present. Part of our challenge is that when we magnify God now, it's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? It's like in the last week or in the last month, God, what have you done? But Mary looks back on this, and she goes back to the history of Israel from Abraham. And she's saying, this is the kind of God that you are. You show mercy. You are strong. You pull down the pride, proud. You lift up the lowly. This is the kind of God that you are. What is your soul magnifying right now? What is so large in the eyes of your heart that other things are being blocked out? What are your binoculars focused on? Paul says to the Ephesian church, I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working amongst us as believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. There's a sense in which even much, much later on, Paul understands that there is something about the eyes of our heart, this, the sense of magnification that he wants us to understand, that as we magnify God, the people around us that pressure us, the situations and even ourselves begin to shrink. When we magnify God, what happens is it gives perspective to our situations and trials. Mary didn't kind of ask Gabriel to make sure that she was defended. I mean, I, I, I can guarantee you that if this happened to me, I'd have a list of things that I wanted Gabriel to do after this. Okay, number one, can you go to my parents, and can you make sure that they understand that this is happening because of you? Then can you go to the broader community and help them understand um, that, that you are speaking? Now, also... Um, the, the difficulty with all of this is that I'm not sure that Joseph will understand this, 
who I'm engaged to. And now we know that, I think it's in Matthew, where an angel does actually appear to Joseph and actually says to Joseph, you know, this is of God. Don't send her away. Because Joseph had every right to send her away. Because in those days, you're thinking, well, I'm engaged to her. She's now pregnant. There's only one way that that usually happens. And so I'm going to put her away. Now, if, if I was Mary, I would be much more focused on the details of my circumstance and the kind of suffering that this was going to bring me. But that's not what she asked for. She didn't ask for change in her circumstances. She doesn't magnify her trials. She does examine her situation and understands it's not going to be easier. But what she does is she looks up and she magnifies God. And there's a sense in which she says, I'm the Lord's servant let it be to me just as you have said. Yes, God has given her some clarity. Yes, God has given her some courage. But in reality, there is a sense in which she really just needs to say, God, I trust you, and I can trust you because of your nature and your character. Every one of those things that Mary said about God was something the nation of Israel had experienced. It wasn't necessarily something that she herself had experienced. And when we look at magnify and, and magnify God, and when we look at our situations and we say, God, this is difficult, please help me, we're often looking to see, okay, I want to encourage myself, how has God helped me? But actually, when I look around and I see what God has done for my friends, like Neil and Jack, they're in their home. Now, I remember us praying for them as elders that they would get a home. And I'll be a little naughty because one of the things that we prayed for was that they'd get a home and we'd get a building, that they'd have like a double home. So now I'm like, yeah, we are halfway there. Boom, you know? The problem is we don't look to God. We look at our situation and it seems overwhelming. We want to change our situation. And, and we ask the wrong question. We say, God, why is this happening? Instead of, God, what are you doing? And I've gone to God and asked both of those questions, just in the context of building, God, why is this happening? But actually, what gives me grace is, is, what are you doing? And even within the context of us as a community, the building of the partnership with us and the YMCA, I don't really understand what God is doing just in the broad thing. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I have been encouraged. There's been a sense of being able to sit with Elizabeth and God's been able to feed my courage. But ultimately, I look at God and I say, I do know this. I know who you are. I know your nature and your character. And I know that if you think this is okay for now, then it's okay for us. I also understand that it's difficult to trust God when it seems that believing in God has made our lives worse. Where there's been death, where there's been pain, where there's been disappointment and hurt, where, where maybe friends have, have abandoned us, where, where there's a sense of us feeling a loss. I, I understand that it's difficult. The thing is, God is not asking for perfect faith. Even Jesus said this, give me a mustard seed of faith. Give me a little bit of faith. And you will see how that is multiplied. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Elizabeth says, happy is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill the promises he made to her. So magnifying the Lord helps us to see God clearer. It helps us to get perspective on our situations and trials. And then it also prevents us from magnifying ourselves. 
have this revelation, I was talking to John Mark about this, is that not everyone is somebody to everyone. Not everyone is somebody to everyone. So if I say to you, I got to have dinner with Anderson Silva, you guys would say, so what? Well, you wouldn't, because you know who Anderson Silva is. If I said to you, I got to play soccer with Ronaldo, maybe a little more of you would know who that is. You know? I, got, I got Joanna Gaines to make me dinner. You know? Or I got a mentorship with Susan Wachiski, the CEO of uh, YouTube. Now, the revelation, hopefully, that you're having is, I know some of these names, I don't, I don't know the, the other names, and, and the reality is, we culturally magnify people in our generation, in terms of our culture, even our geography. If you go to India, no one, well, they may know who Tom Brady is, but he's not going to have the same pull as the top cricket player in India. Uh, there's, a, there's a Netflix series called Gods, and it's about like how famous cricket players are in the most, one of the most populous nations in the world. And, and what happens is we try and magnify ourselves to feel significant because we're feeling small, and we try and magnify ourselves to those who have been artificially magnified by our culture, by our generation, and by our geography. So, in other words, Anderson Silva, probably five years from now, very, very few people will know him. But he was the most successful mixed martial arts fighter about five years ago. Then he went to kick someone and just shattered his leg, and then it was over, you know? We try and magnify ourselves when we feel small relationally, professionally, intellectually, and physically. Every time we feel small, we think, okay, what is going to make me feel bigger? I need a larger relational circle. I need more friends. I need to invest in more of my friendship. What is going to make me feel a little bit bigger? I know I'm going to do better at my job. Uh, I'm going to kind of get promotions. That will kind of magnify me more. What is going to make me feel better? I am going to get more degrees. Because the more um, kind of little um, suffixes I have at the end of my name, the, the better I'll be. And I'll start introducing myself as doctor, you know, um, Dr. Saltis. God help us, right? Um, or physically. I'm, I'm going to make myself look better so that I'll be more accepted. Now, this is the thing. We are trying to magnify ourselves to a group that is artificially magnified in our own lives. Mary's song calls us to stop fixating on trying to be a somebody because she magnifies God's love for the lowly and the fact that he opposes the proud. Now, many people will make the fact that, that all people will call me blessed, right? Now, unfortunately, I mean, the power of hashtag blessed has been robbed, right? I mean, I hashtag blessed the other day. You know what I saw? I saw a picture of someone's nails. They just got their nails done. Hashtag blessed. I saw a picture of someone who caught a huge fish. Hashtag blessed. I, got a, I saw a picture of someone that got a ride in a Bugatti. Hashtag blessed blessed, you know. I saw a picture of someone on vacation, hashtag blessed. Now, the, the power of this has been stolen by that, but the original purpose of the idea of saying I was blessed by God was this, to shift the gaze off me and to put the gaze on the one who has blessed us. That's what Mary is saying. I am blessed because of what God has done. 
I'm not blessed. There's nothing unique about me. I'm blessed because of what God has done. And if we can hold on that, and if we can understand and walk that kind of tightrope between the understanding that God has blessed us in order to be a blessing, then what we get to do within the context of our world is shift people's gaze upwards, just like Mary has. Because the more we magnify God, the greater there's an understanding that He is the one that is responsible for this blessedness. Yes, Mary was moral. We know that because Scripture goes into detail to make sure that we know that she was moral. She was brave. She was humble, but she's not sinless. She's not because the Bible is clear. Adam and Eve's sin meant that all of us, including Mary, is born into a sinful state. That only Jesus can rectify. And that is exactly why the virgin birth is critical to our understanding. Because it was only Jesus that was not conceived by a human being that could claim to be sinless. And it was only Jesus because of that that was able to free us from the scandal of sin. When we magnify God's mercy, it is incredible. Because we no longer have to justify ourselves, we no longer have to guard our reputation, and we no longer have to guard our good name. Paul is talking to another church, and there's a lot of argument in this church about who's better. And uh, he gives them this reminder. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth, just like Jesus. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, You are in Christ Jesus, not because of our good works, not because of our upbringing, not because of our culture, because of Him, we are in Christ Jesus, who became the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What that means is Jesus Christ was the one that enabled us to stand in God's presence with the righteousness that came from Him because of His shed blood. Jesus Christ is the one that sanctifies us. That that conception of becoming more like Jesus, it makes us more like Him because of His Spirit. And ultimately, we are redeemed because we have been saved by the blood of Jesus, but will be redeemed when He, when he returns. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Van, you can come up. question I want us to ask is, what is my soul magnifying? Is it magnifying a person? Is there a person whose attention and affection just fills my gaze? Like if I had this person's approval, attention, and affection, then I would feel better. A boss, a husband, a girlfriend. Who's... Who am I focused on that is filling my vision, that is not allowing me to magnify God? Maybe I'm magnifying a situation. What circumstance 
am I magnifying? What am I afraid of? Where am I suffering? And that is just filling my gaze. What trial or difficulty is filling my soul's vision? We look at Mary, and she says this, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. When we magnify God's mercy, we enter into the joy and courage of God because we no longer are trying to justify ourselves, guard our reputation, or our good name. God sees us, for I have looked upon you. God is merciful to us, and his mercy is for those who fear us. God is strong in our situation, and he's able to deal with the proud. God will fill you, and God will provide you. Our cause is just to say, let it be to me as you have said. I will magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it's during this time where, even as Sean reminded us, where David calls Israel to magnify the Lord, where Mary calls all of us to magnify the Lord. God, it's during this season where we need the help of your Spirit. We need your help to be able to shift our gaze off ourselves, to shift our gaze off other people, to shift our gaze off our situations and circumstances and trials, and allow your Holy Spirit to come and to fill our vision with Jesus. I pray that as we just respond in worship and in song, the Spirit of God, you would just begin to stir something freshly in us. Those of us that feel like we were barren, like there's nothing conceived that need courage and clarity and certainty, God, I want to pray that you would give it to them. Those that have sensed a call to be Elizabeth's in this house, to give courage, I want to pray that you would empower them. But more than anything, God, I want to pray that we would live in the glory of what you've called us to live. That we would understand that because of you, we have righteousness, we have sanctification, we have redemption, and we will experience glorification when you come again. We want to boast, Jesus, but we want to boast in you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.